Hello and welcome to Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. In this series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep and with me today is Rick Smith, the Chief Technology Officer of Sentinel One. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Great. So, uh, look, uh, I I mean, uh, it's, uh, you know, September 13th of 23, and this year uh, has been, you know, quite a revelation when it comes to uh, how big uh, the generative AI discussion has become. But maybe before we get there, you know, uh, let's start off with uh, how it has been for you as a public company. I mean, you guys have been public for almost two years, and uh, clearly, You've seen the ups and downs of, you know, uh, the cybersecurity market and and how, uh, I I guess, uh, the perception has changed around SaaS and uh, the disruptive elements around cybersecurity. And maybe uh, from your perspective, what is the clear value proposition that uh, Sentinel One brings to the table when it comes to uh, cybersecurity. Given there have been so many talks about whether an agent architecture is better versus an agentless, and and uh, if you can just start off there, that would be great. Yeah, I mean we got a lot of ground to cover. Cover in that uh, there's probably like four or five questions that we need to unpack there. So let's start with kind of the the landscape and how it's changing, and then we can talk about how we operate as a company and how we're addressing that. So, you know, at our root, the base level is that we're an AI and data company, which that's our DNA and that's super pertinent to everything that we're seeing in the era of generative AI. When you look at generative AI, it's really being weaponized to create malware in mass. So threat actors who can actually get access to it, leverage it, they're building malware quicker, cheaper, faster, requires fewer skills. Proliferation of it's easier because you can generate email content more convincingly um, and make it more wider spread, which means that the delivery of that malware is much more prevalent. And when you add to that, the fact that you can take generative AI and actually use it to ultimately um, translate techniques, which ultimately are scripts or commands that have to be written, that can then be used within your infrastructure you got a real problem on your hands. Now, there was a recent report, and I think it was from Sapio Research, if I recall right, which is a market research firm out of London. It is a survey of 650-ish professionals um, in cybersecurity, all C-level, in the United States. And 75% of them said that there was an increase in attacks. 85% of them ultimately attributed that to generative AI as a whole. That's, That's pretty impressive, you know, particularly since this is a subjective thing. You know, they probably have limited information in terms of the actual sources of it, but that's the perception that they have as operators in the market. So if you if you start looking at the foundations of what's out there, you have a real problem on your hands. So, you know, all the cybersecurity vendors, we've we've gone out and we've flogged everybody out there who's been using signature-based approaches for malware. If you have a proliferation of this, now you have a real problem on your hands in terms of trying to track each one of those signatures over time. So anyone who's using that kind of technology today is putting themselves at risk. And that's a significant part of the market today. You know, that's roughly, you know, depending on the, the, the market quadrant that you're referencing from a research standpoint, 
that's like upwards of 50% of the market in terms of the legacy vendors out there. So all of those areas need to shift quickly to something that's capable of dealing with this onslaught that these practitioners are feeling today. So the only way that that we view this as possible is you got to fight AI with AI. You've got to put machine against machine. So we offer a very broad-based platform. Um, there is an agent component to that. And in terms of coverage, we cover everything from your IT assets, uh, cloud workloads, identities. We even cover your storage. We use behavioral techniques, which means that we have models active on the endpoint that understand the behavior and techniques of threat actors. Uh, we also do static analysis, which is basically the reverse engineering of malware, something that humans generally do. We can do in an automated fashion so that we can classify it, detect it. And then we do intelligent remediation on top of that. And it doesn't just stop there. So we take another layer in terms of how we help our customers secure their environments, because at the end of the day, the best way to prevent you know, having to go through the, the hassle of a breach is to make sure that you have a strong security posture that prevents that in the first place. So in addition to providing real-time defense, we also provide a mechanism that allows our customers to secure their infrastructure by doing scans for unprotected assets, which can seamlessly deploy our agent and make sure that those, those gaps in their infrastructure can ultimately be locked down. So that's on the, the forefront. Yeah. Uh, maybe if I can interject there. So, uh, I mean, you mentioned about agent. Is that uh, something that has evolved? Because uh, I remember when uh, Sentinel IPO, uh, I think that their value proposition was it was an agentless architecture. But maybe you can uh, throw some more light on that. That's never been the value proposition that we actually promote out there. So from an agentless, archi agentless architecture perspective, there are parts of our platform that operate in that area. So if you're looking at posture management, we do have capabilities that actually provide that in an agentless format. But then there's other areas where we actually do deploy a subset of the agent to actually deal with that kind of capability. And it's important in that when you're dealing with public cloud infrastructure, you're dealing with something that has a set of metadata around it that's well-tracked and easy to describe, making it easy for you to have an agentless architecture in that format. But if you're dealing with you know, private data centers, then there's a lot of, um, I'll call it proprietary crafted software that helps with the management of that. And it's in various states. You're never going to be able to integrate with all of it. And it's always going to be something that people have a catch-up game with. And so in those cases, actually having an agent of some sort that helps you understand that is super important. And that's why we see a huge success in our cloud workload security products, because we have that variation in it. So you mentioned your data company. I'm curious if there is a way to quantify the size of your data lake and how you are using it in that uh, like generative AI approach, whether it's building your own foundational model or building something on top of uh, like a GPT. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. So, I mean, we service over roughly about a quadrillion events a year, just to give you kind of a perspective of the, the birth and volume that we're seeing right now. Um, obviously, we launched Purple AI uh, several months ago back at RSA. We were the first to you know, actually demonstrate something live in that context. More recently at Black Hat, Purple AI actually was doing a capture the flag exercise where 
we actually had customers coming in or prospects that could actually do the exercise hands-on. That was a very unique experience. And we're currently working with co-development or co-developing with a few, few different customers to really harden it and galvanize um, uh, the robustness of that product as a whole. Okay. But I mean, if, so I'm, I'm guessing you're not building your own foundational model here. You, you're just, uh, it, it's, a, it's a data lake that you're using. Well, those are two separate, separate technologies. So, so we have a data lake and it's well-established. It serves both our security use cases and our operational use cases. So little known to the market is that we have about 400 customers that do nothing but general operations. That's more of an SRE function. So that is a standalone, clearly capable data lake. Um, Purple AI on its own is actually a broader umbrella of models that we run. And then in terms of your question around, do we actually use something under the covers? We have actually evaluated OpenAI, we've evaluated Claude um, as well, as well as some technologies from Google. But at the end of the day, what we have found is that we build for tasks and that builds better accuracy and efficiency and better cost to the customer. Because at the end of the day, I don't need a model that understands philosophy. I need a model that understands cybersecurity in that context very clearly and can translate it to a specific outcome. So the first outcomes that we've seen and put in the market is obviously assisted threat hunting, which effectively means you can do natural language for dealing with a query. And that ultimately translates underneath the cover to our power query language, which drives um, our data lake. Mm. Okay. But, uh, and I'm guessing you're dealing with large amounts of data. So are you able to get all the compute resources you need for training these models? How often are you training? And uh, not to, you know, spend a lot of time on this, but uh, I mean, these are the type of questions that I guess people are asking when it comes to the use of generative AI. So I would love to, you know, uh, get a feel for uh, how, what your approach is and, just uh, what you're doing around this. Yeah, so, so you can always leverage a base model and do fine tuning around it, which really limits the amount of computation that you have to have to do for these use cases. And that's really our approach around these things. Okay. Um, and, and you mentioned uh, these techniques are uh, used by, um, you know, hackers or for, uh, the bad guys who are creating malware using generative AI. Uh, I mean, like, why is it that the bad guys are able to use this so quickly? Like, I mean, I'm I'm guessing they're using a foundational model or something like a chat GPT that's out there to write these kind of malware and that the current crop of products, which, is, which at least from my vantage point are pretty fragmented because uh, you're using something for endpoints, something for identity, something for network security. They're just not effective in terms of dealing with that. Is that the right uh, kind of current state of the art? I think you have to break it down a little bit differently. So, so LLMs, so large language models in general, like you can get access to lots of open source models. So they are equally as available to, to enterprise like us um, as they are to threat actors. So they can have them in hand and start weaponizing and employing them. Um, To my knowledge, I don't know of a current um, incident that would come through like, you know, FBI, CIA, NSA, et cetera, where 
there is a clear understanding of how these things are working today. There probably is something out there, but there's not one that I could actually like put a finger on. But this is the threat landscape or emerging threat landscape that the community is actually talking about. So weaponization would likely come through that source. It'll be a little bit harder to take a corporate API and get access to it, but not impossible. It's pretty easy to stand up a LLM and uh, you know use some other proxy to get access to these kinds of things. We've seen it in other methods and means of trying to get access to security products or to other tools. And then in terms of your question around fragmentation, these are different kinds of tasks and you actually want different models focused on that so that you can actually fit the form factor. You don't want to have these massive models that are used for a very broad set of use cases. You want them to actually be specialized. And that's the important thing about really focusing on the security context and what makes us unique in this category. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I think it's important to just talk about generative AI, but let's come back to, you know, Sentinel-1 and uh, like what you guys are focused on, which is, uh, again, uh, when, when we classify Sentinel, we put it in that endpoint security bucket. But even within that endpoint, would it be fair to say that you're more focused on user security versus workloads versus other types of endpoints? No, not, not, not at all. So, so, so we've just, we just accumulated a couple of misconceptions. Mm -hmm. So yes, we started as an endpoint company. I wouldn't classify as, as an endpoint company today. We're definitely well on our way to transitioning out of that moniker. So roughly a third of our revenue actually is coming from other sources at this point. So that transition is very active. So yes, we have a great endpoint product. We also have a great um, product line through Ranger that we can do discovery and posture management around. We have a great data lake product that's pretty diverse in terms of its use case, servicing both security use cases, operational use cases across the board. And yes, we have a set of capabilities now around um, generative AI, but that's a portfolio of, of products. So that goes down to our behavioral engines on the endpoint to the assistive tasks that we're starting to put around our threat hunting activities and servicing um, even SRE type use cases, just general operations use cases. And then we're actually taking that a step further here in the near future and putting that into more detection use cases as well. So can we hone in on uh, workload security? Because that to me is still uh, you know, an ambiguous term because workloads are everywhere, right? Yep. They're, they're on the cloud, they're on-prem, uh, I mean, you, you can think of even uh, container instances and how uh, companies are using different types of approach for, you know, deploying uh, cloud architecture. Where uh, do you think uh, the opportunity is the largest, given how you're f seeing the shift, you know, in terms of the IT infrastructure and, and now Gen AI? Like, wh where do you uh, feel you know, the market is going as well as where you have a clear differentiation when it comes to workload security? Great question. So cloud workload security is actually our fastest growing line of business. Um, as it stands, we protect, I'm not actually sure the, the complete customer list I can give you, but I'll give you some vagary around it. So like one of the top um, customers that we support right now is actually one of the top three SaaS vendors in the United States, just to give you kind of a perspective on it. 
Um, one of the top email providers in the world we protect. So this is something that's readily deployed um, in revenue generating environments. We protect those. We're in, the, in a very sensitive space that I think a lot of people forget and lose context and think, hey, like they're Sentinel One, they just protect laptops. We're not. Okay. So, uh, and, and just, I, I guess, uh, expanding on that a little bit. So the security that cloud providers are giving. So, I mean, we know Microsoft claims they have a $20 billion revenue run rate in security. How do you, uh, when, when you're doing your, uh, you know, POCs and uh, uh, going through this uh, deal kind of uh, RFP, how do you prove that you have a higher efficacy. Like, what is it that customers yeah. are asking you for when they are looking at the bundled security that Microsoft is giving versus what you are providing? You know, it's it's a uh, what I love about about selling into the cyberspace is that it's um it, it's always a bake off. So literally, what will happen is these vendors will come in, they'll run you know whomever they they've lined up for the RFP, they'll run them through a POC. Um, and those POCs are, are very standard. They, they have a set of requirements that they're going to run us through to prove efficacy. And they'll look at the breadth of the platform, regardless of the vendor. And they'll choose the one in terms of you know, how it stacks up against those requirements. And it, as it stands, so if I amortize across all of our competitors, our win rate is north of the mid-70s in terms of percentages. Um, and Microsoft itself is actually on the higher end of that in terms of win rate. So obviously proof in the pudding of our efficacy overall. Beyond customers actually doing that, before they actually go down the path of lining up the POCs, they'll obviously go out to look at third-party evaluations. The MITRE ATT&CK framework is you know, a dominant one that they reference. We've been the clear leader there for three years running in terms of efficacy, and not only efficacy, but also in terms of generating the highest fidelity alerts and the fewest required alerts, which means time and materials in terms of people actually working through that and triaging it, as well as configuration, which comes down to complexity in terms of operation and ultimately TCL. Right. Okay. And um, I guess in terms of time to deployment uh, or any other type of tangible uh, sort of metrics that you can offer for... Um, uh, since you said uh, the product suite has expanded, uh, you know, from just being endpoint, like how, how much time does it take for customers to deploy these add-on products uh, when you try to uh, upsell them? So when you look at deployment, deployment is always going to be dictated by the customer. It's their environment, right? So that means there's, it would be hard to actually compare each of us down the line they have certain windows that they're allowed to do updates. Um, they have certain different customers will have different vehicles in terms of how they ultimately do evaluations in like a staged environment for the roll it out to other areas that may be more sensitive. So it's hard to judge that aspect of it. But what I can tell you is this, is that, you know, our install and upgrade rates are north of 99.5% right now. Um, and our, our forthcoming release of, the, of, of our agent, we do not require any reboot and actually have a higher efficacy rate than other vendors that would require or state that they don't require a reboot as a result of that update. So, 
you know, if I could take away all the requirements of the customer, my bet would be that we actually probably have a smoother rollout overall. Right. Okay. And uh, are the customers coming to you and asking to prove, you know, the impact on uh, the performance of the application or that has never been uh, a focus or I, I guess as long as they're protected, they're okay with in the uh, in the agent context, it, it varies. So if we're talking about IT infrastructure, specifically like a Windows laptop, for instance, they're super concerned about um, constrained resources on those laptops. You know, it's not like every enterprise is going to be able to have the most modern laptop. So it can be can be difficult for them. So they're worried about you know resource consumption in terms of CPU, in terms of memory footprint. And that's something that we're always evaluated with. We obviously do well based off of the, the effective win rate that I, I, I mentioned. When we're talking about cloud, it actually gets even more sensitive and more scrutinous because at the end of the day, you know, a fraction of a compute is ultimately dollars to them. You know, and the I same is true of memory. So we're extremely efficient there based on our success in that venue as well. And so since you mentioned cloud, what what is it that Sentinel is using uh, to deploy uh, their solution? I mean, are, are you using one of the hyperscalers uh, or uh, curious if you can talk about the infrastructure that you're using for deploying the product? Um, so the, the base level agent technology around that obviously doesn't require a specific kind of hyperscaler. Right? So that ultimately ends up in a, the customer's pipeline. They can package it and deploy it as they wish. Um, there is some uniqueness in terms of the architecture there that makes it very flexible, easy to update, easy to deploy, easy to rev, which some of our competitors have struggled with in the past. Um, in terms of how we deal with the telemetry and yeah. um, some of the broader integration there, we are cloud agnostic. So we do have two dominant cloud partners that we currently host on um, that also give you know, customers access or latitude to use their cloud spend um, with those vendors directly to purchase and procure us. Okay, but, but is there uh, like uh, a cloud that you're using for your data lake where you uh, gather all the events that you mentioned or all the telemetry from different customers you have? So the data lake that we run is actually also cloud agnostic. So it's actually hosted current currently in AWS and GCP. Okay. Um, and and so the reason why I'm asking that is, uh, I mean, the one trend that we are hearing more and more is automation. And uh, when it comes to cybersecurity, I mean, people just don't want to deal with alerts. You, you may say, you know, you have the most fewer alerts when it comes to the solution that you're offering around uh, SIM or vulnerability. But I, I think the holy grail from a customer standpoint is just automate everything. And and so curious, uh, what are your thoughts around automation and uh, just how long will it take to get there and what are the challenges? So, I mean, as it stands today, um, depending on the context, we actually offer automated remediation. Um, in addition to that, we have a very deep portfolio of integrations that offer um, response-based actions that you know can work within the context of our ecosystem, can interact with other ecosystems to ultimately automate those responses. Now, if you want to take it a step further and combine that with something like uh, next-gen SOAR offerings, and now we're talking about 
Torque or Tynes, for instance. Um, we see a lot of customers using those in combination with us. Um, looking forward, we actually look at partnering around those. And obviously we have an investment in Torque as it stands. Um, but that partnership for us is really about using Purple AI to further um, loosen the requirement and have some intuition about how those automations should actually be produced and translated and executed. But I, I still don't understand why, as a customer, you need a SIM solution if if you can use a vendor to um, kind of automate more of the alerts or how you do uh, do the remediation. Uh, like I, I, I've never understood why you have that level of fragmentation when it comes to just triaging and creating an alert or a dashboard for someone to look at. So most of that comes down to playbooking, right? So when you look at the automation aspect, what they're really building out is a series of playbooks that are trying to orchestrate across different data streams. So those are coming off of different um, vendors. So it could be like a firewall, you know, could be an endpoint. There are lots of varieties of telemetry that they might actually be working across email streams. So like if we were just looking at a classic phishing use case, you'd want to understand what was the email payload? What was the login? What is the endpoint affected, for instance? That ultimately has to have some form of action that has to be coordinated across that. And so customers will actually use some kind of automation tool on top of that. And we see customers using our data lake in conjunction with another form of automation, which, you know, if you take three steps back, you're basically stating that you have a next generation SIM in front of you. Like the legacy SIMs also struggle from a harder context, which is really about how do you create data normalization? And data normalization ultimately is a costly function because it's not ingested in the platform in a normal fashion, which then makes detections harder to create and automations harder to create. That's actually something that we do as a de facto element in terms of our data lake, making it easier to have that um, transitive detective um, apparatus. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess we didn't really touch on the threat environment a lot. You mentioned, you know, uh, the bad actors are using Gen AI, but uh, would you say the number of high profile attacks have come down uh, lately? At least we haven't been hearing as many high profile attacks like Target One or, you know, FedEx. There, there, were, there was a period where you would hear some really big attacks. We, we haven't had that sort of thing for a while. So has the uh, kind of the number of high profile attacks gone down or that's just me uh, and I, I could be completely off on that. <laughs> I think they probably haven't gotten the coverage that okay. we would imagine. I, obviously, we've seen a, uh, a higher rate of attacks. You know, we, we saw initially a, a kind of downturn when the, um, the war in the Ukraine initially started, but there's definitely an uptick again. And, you know, ransomware is still, you know, a top topic, you know, for every company out there. And that's the, the major threat that people are still concerned with. Um, but, you know. I, so if the IT budgets are constrained and, you know, uh, I, I guess uh, the decision makers have to decide what is discretionary versus non-discretionary, you still think uh, security spend will remain non-discretionary? even in this environment? Even in this environment, but I mean, you know, sadly, no matter what, 
you know, security teams are going to get compressed on budget. So we do have a lot of conversations with security teams where if we ask them, what, what's your prioritization? You know, they'll put cost, you know, over top of other elements of it. But, you know, we, we fare well in that category. I mean, in terms of price for performance for the endpoint products, you know, we definitely have been, I'd say, probably the strongest in that category while remaining a healthy growth maintaining a healthy gross margin. Others have been pretty compressed in that that state. Um, in terms of our data lake product, it's pretty attractive in that category. So Splunk's usually the, the incumbent, and we see a lot of appetite to display Splunk because we come in at roughly, you know, about a third of the cost in terms of, of what Splunk customers are currently playing. So we do well in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and uh, I guess uh, lastly, just uh, when it comes to, um, I guess, how this market will evolve. I mean, for the longest time that I've covered cybersecurity, uh, there's just been too many vendors. But the reason why there have been too many vendors is because uh, the attack vector keeps evolving and, you know, uh, I, I guess the surface keeps expanding in terms of what you have to protect. So how do you see that evolving? Do you think data or generative AI gives the incumbents an edge? And I'll, I'll put Sentinel as an incumbent. Uh, but uh, we, we're, Thank you we're for just, that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts in terms of what, what is a sustainable mode uh, in cybersecurity for the incumbents. Um, you know, honestly, speed and focus, that's, that's the critical thing. Um, I think if you're too married to your existing techniques, you're going to find yourself flat footed and it's going to become a real problem. And so, you know, I credit the team that we've got, like we've always been over the past 10 years, very nimble, very focused on the customer outcomes and keeping them protected and constantly pivoting as we see the threat landscape changing. Um, you know, not just making it about Sentinel one, having that broader set of vendors out there is actually super important. Like that actually pushes all the vendors to do a better job. And ultimately, like, it's not really about us. It's about keeping the customer safe and customers get a better outcome as a result of that. So I think that's a very healthy environment. I don't see that changing. Um, and I'd actually be very disappointed if it actually changed. Yeah. And when are we going to hear about uh, Sentinel one co-pilot security co-pilot? Uh, we already have. This is exactly what Purple AI is, except for it's a step forward. So when we looked at the, you know, I'll call it the broader co-pilot methodology around assistive AI use cases, using generative AI, um, we thought it was kind of out of the loop. And so when you look at Purple AI, it's directly in the product. It's not like a sidecar that's coaching you how to do something. It is the actual interface. So if you want to drive an investigation, you do it with Purple AI in the product, not as an afterthought or something that's going to coach you in terms of how to use our product. Oh, okay. So uh, how often do you update and do you charge uh, separately for it? So it is a separate module. Um, okay. we, we haven't released it in GA yet. So okay. as, it, as it comes online, customers will be able to actually purchase it as an add-on to our existing platform. And uh, I'm guessing uh, it gets constant updates because uh, obviously you're learning about new threats all the time. And, and so it, it gets a direct feed from the data lake for lack of a better explanation. Yeah, loosely speaking, yes. And it does get some helpful coaching as well in terms of training from 
our, our internal security and research teams. Got it. And and I'm guessing security co-pilots won't have an hallucination problem. So uh, they, they they are trained on a narrower data set. Exactly. And that that's exactly the point. Okay. Um, so uh, let me quickly jump to some rapid fire questions in the last five minutes. And uh, if you can keep your answers brief there. Um, what is one technology or trend that you are most excited about uh, over the next two years? So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a, um, uh, a double-edged sword. So I am pretty hyped on generative AI um, and some of the applications for it. Um, I think the double-edged sword about it is that it's not like the world-ending thing. I think that we've... Um, over-rotated on what it can actually do in our world. But I do think it'll have some pretty significant implications in terms of um, how we detect things, ultimately how we automate things. Um, I think that there's a lot of noise in terms of uh, the kind of work that people do um, that we can you know, make them more efficient and fo- refocus them less on the mundane and more on things that have... Uh, a higher degree of outcome or more importance to our businesses. Like, I think that's, that's pretty remarkable and it's transitive. It's like, it's not just for cyber. It's also for, you know, the broader implications of, of the economy and how we work. Yeah. And uh, besides uh, Sentinel being an endpoint company, uh, you already cleared that. Any other misconceptions you want to clear on this podcast? So we're definitely not an endpoint company anymore. We've definitely transitioned to a platform company. I think that's the dominant thing that I want to make sure that, you know, our listeners here are very clear on, and you're happy to give me a call and I'll, I'll give you a complete brief on, on why and why not. The, um, the other misconception, obviously we've had a lot of rhetoric and, and rumors in the market around our independence. So, you know, if there, if there are any listeners out there that, still are hanging on to that that rumor like we're an independent company we have no plans to change that that is our trajectory going forward um, we have a very successful business that we don't think needs um, any uh, bolstering from a third party right most important metric of your business success i mean at, at the end of the day i mean um, if I'm talking to the street, it's definitely going to be like, you know, our general financial metrics around ARR, yeah. revenue, profitability and whatnot. Like we can't do business without that. But um, from a feel good perspective, it's really our customer satisfaction. And so, you know, when I see our support team, our customer success team reporting on that, you know, we are always at an industry high in terms of NPS score, and CSAT score. Um and that, that for me is a very proud moment because it really is a statement of we are an easy company to work with, our partners and customers value us, and that is one of the bigger differentiators out there beyond our technology that really attracts uh, customers to us. What will be the most important channel for uh, acquiring new customers? Um, so our business is pretty broad. Um, so... I mean, we protect SMB, mid-market, uh, enterprise, global strategic customers globally across every vertical um, out there. Um, at the top echelon, upper echelons, I mean, that cohort includes the Fortune 10, some Fortune 500, Global 2000, prominent governments. We really don't have a 
we don't really have an ask in terms of reach. We're doing a great job of that. I mean, obviously more would be even better just so that we can keep um, fueling this, this insane growth that we have. But um, I think it's really pressing on the gas for, for the verticals that we serve and the, the, the broad use cases that we're currently serving. And lastly, what could go wrong with the assumptions that you're making? Uh... I mean, everything comes down to execution. So, I mean, we have everything in front of us. You know, we have uh, a, an amazing TAM that we can go tackle um, that's pretty wide open at this point in time. It's not like it's not like ourselves or our top two competitors have this thing anchored in. So, I mean, it's ours to lose. Got it. Rick, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Again, uh, cybersecurity is such a vast area that there's only so much you can cover in half an hour, but I thought uh, we covered a lot of ground and uh, I want to wish uh, you and Sentinel the very best uh, for future success and uh, look forward to doing this again uh, at some point in the future. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been a wonderful conversation and on just one last note, yeah, we're we're definitely a platform company. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Rick.